0: The postseason is here, and the Ringer NBA show has you covered with real ones, group chat, The Answer, and Ringer NBA postgame. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your
1: podcasts.
2: It's New York, New York, presented by Fandle. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com.
0: This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your
1: car's value with your garage on cars.com.
2: In early Monday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, JJ Johnsiuszewski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And full disclosure: Weekend, the Yankees, Red Sox. I never in a million years on Thursday thought I'd be opening up the show with the Mets, considering they're taking on the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm thinking it's going to be a rather nondescript type of series and that all the buzz and all the attention would be surrounding the Yankees. Couldn't have been more wrong. Could not have been more wrong because the Mets played two bizarre, insane type of games on opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, let's make something perfectly clear. The Mets had a terrible weekend. The Pirates suck. Can't put it in simpler terms than that. They suck. You split a series with them last week. You lose the first two games where Strowman is more concerned about picking a fight. Saturday, you have a six nothing lead, and we had a ton of fun with this for all the wrong reasons, doing Spotify Green Room. Six run lead, Lugo implodes, and then you get the Diaz implosion. Where Diaz, you could tell from the get go, had nothing. But when Diaz is pointing up in the sky on a walk-off Grand Slam, come on. Number one, that's embarrassing. Number two, that gives you shades of Mr. Robles. No Mets fan wanted to see that on Saturday night. You have all that negative juju. You combine that with Windor on the IL, oblique. Probably going to miss a month. DeGrom. MRI comes back clean, still feels pain, can't throw. He's on the IL, So losing to the Pirates, losing the best pitcher in baseball, losing your $300 million man. And oh, by the way, seeing the Phillies and Braves get back in this division race. You add all of that up and then Sunday's first inning Meltdown for Taiwan Walker. The fair foul play, whether it's fair, whether it's foul. Besides the point, dude. You got to touch the ball. Rojas losing his mind, and it being six nothing Pirates after one inning of play. Met fans were on tilt. Met fans were the equivalent of me trying to find a table at the Borgata on Friday night. Not in particularly good spirits in all sorts of panic, in a major, major frenzy. I'm not going to give the Mets accolades and throw them bouquets because the Pirates are awful. You should not be pounding your chest after salvaging a game on Sunday. What the Mets did, though, by coming from behind, throwing eight and two-thirds scoreless from their bullpen, Conforto, who's done nothing all year, hits the home run in the ninth inning, down a run to give you the lead, the Mets allowed you to let out a little bit of a sigh of relief. The Mets found a way to salvage the weekend. They've been a very gritty team. They've been a next man up type of team. We've detailed that in this podcast all damn season. Mets lose on Sunday. Oh my goodness. After Saturday? To the Pirates, uh, the injury news, people would be besides themselves. You know what this weekend showed me now? Mets need a reinforcement tell. Maybe that's Carlos Carrasco coming back. Maybe it's Jose Barrios. Maybe it's Chris Bryant. Maybe it's Javi Baez. I have no idea. This owner has wherewithal to go and make that happen. He said, Joel Sherman said it on the podcast last week, if they're going to go over the luxury tax, they're going to shatter it. I get the sense another big move is coming for the Mets because I don't believe the Mets look at this year as wait and see. You're not waiting to see when you go and give Lindor the amount of money that they gave him. I just don't evaluate it that way. I think the Mets are making a big move. Their schedule is daunting. Look at the Mets' schedule from July into August. Find me the easy games. Go ahead. Take a look at the schedule. You're going to see a whole lot of Dodgers and Giants and division games, and then you mix in the Blue Jays and the Reds. (laughs) It's no picnic. Missed opportunity against the Pirates. You avoid disaster, though, by finding a way to win this game. And that's where you got to give the Drew Smiths and the Aaron Loops all the credit in the world for doing their thing. Now, all that craziness going on with the Mets. And again, my mind is blown that we actually led the show today with the Mets. But hey, a lot happened. A lot transpired. What can I tell you? Yankee standpoint. Friday night, I'm watching the game at the book. I'm enjoying a beautiful Steak, surf and turf dinner at Bobby Flay's, and you know what? Thought kept going through my mind as the Yankees get shut out and mowed by Eduardo Rodriguez. Thank God I'm away. Thank God I am not at Yankee Stadium. That was my feeling Friday night, and I might have been a couple of cocktails deep. The corners were flowing. If you would have found me Friday night and said, JJ, the Yankees with this depleted lineup with a whole lot of guys out because of everything that's transpired now with COVID, no judge, no Gio Urshela, Luke Voigt back on the injured list, shocker. But if you would have told me right then and there, the Yankees will go and win the next two games, I would have said, no shot. What are you drinking tonight? Give credit where credit is due. That's what the Yankees were able to do. Saturday got a little break. He only had to play six innings. Cole, coming off his game of the year against the Astros, was super impressive. Double digit strikeouts, one run over, six innings, getting Vasquez to end the jam with the rain falling down. On a night where Garrett Cole did not have his very best in a must game for the Yankees, he delivered. Cole wants the ball. He wants to pitch in those big moments. He's not intimidated. And I think after Astros' brilliance and now a great start after the Red Sox here, we could stop with the whole sticky stuff crap because the last two were exactly what you needed to see. Sanchez homers, Torres homers. And you said, all right, now you got to go and win the series. I don't want to hear how the point of the Yankee lineup is. Yes, it's a who's who. Yes, we're trying to figure out Who half these guys are, but you got to find a way to win. The Yankees did exactly that on Sunday. And what was impressive about the Yankee win on Sunday from an offensive standpoint, the Yankees did, dare I say, some of the little things that we have been screaming about for months. What a concept. Greg Allen. Down in the minor leagues, former Cleveland Indian, Speedy. Gave him good at bats all weekend. Gets on base. He can run. You got your best contact hitter at the plate, in LeMayu. Hit and run. What, what a thought. Holy moly. Did the world just end or did the Yankees actually execute properly a hit and run? Holy shit. What a sight for sore eyes. Ruggie Odor dropping a bunt down. Love it against the left-handed pitcher. You know what else I love? Ruggie Odor hitting a bomb in the second deck. The Yankees played a far more aggressive style of baseball. They put pressure on the Red Sox. With this lineup being the way that it is, you can't be sitting around waiting for the home runs. They're not going to come. This group now has won three straight series. Now they've gained absolutely no ground because the division is loaded. And even the wildcard race, it's a daunting challenge for the Yankees. Daunting, daunting challenge to think, okay, they're back now because they've won three straight series. Not even close. A lot of the narratives though, around July 31st, they're talking about, well, what will the Yankees do? Are they going to add to this team? Are they going to sell? Are they not going to do much? Winning enhances the odds of the Yankees adding to this group. Two with the Phillies, four with Boston, three with Tampa. A lot more work to do. But with this lineup and the adversity they had to deal with with COVID, give credit where credit is due. I did not think after Friday night they were going to win this series. And how about Tyon on Sunday? That is another good start for j Over the last month, he's thrown the ball a lot better for the Yankees. He's attacked. He's put guys away. He hasn't messed around. Yankees need it because Huber ain't coming back anytime soon. You're still waiting on Severino. Yankees need this version of Jamison Tyon. It was a good weekend for them. Torres finally showing some signs of life, homer in the back-to-back games. Chapman actually throwing a couple of scoreless innings, albeit in blowouts or in non-save situations. But hey, for a team that haven't beaten all year, they took two out of three. I need to see more baby step though. Keep one in series. It's really all you can do. Before we get to a ton of voicemails and the King Jimmy Lairitz, we got one right out of the gate. Will Cerruti go in a Yankee or Met direction? Very curious. Let's hear it, Cerruti.
3: Jade, John from Long Island, here to bring you some Yankee positivity. Look, the past 10 days, the vibes have been bad. The vibes have been very bad. We blew that sweep against the Astros. Half of our roster has COVID. We had a game canceled. But despite all that, we got series wins against the Astros. We got series wins against the Red Sox. Jage, the New York, New York public, I think this season's turning around. I think we got reason for hope. Good vibes, positive vibes. Let's go,
2: Yankees. I love your energy. I need more before I'm basking in the glory of that positivity, though. Not there yet. I've been too beaten down throughout the course of this year to be totally suckered back in. Yankees go to Fenway Park and play well next week. Maybe I'm singing a different tune. Right now, I'm kind of more in wait-and-see mode, and the Yankees can't sleep on the Phillies playing these two games. I always am fearful when you got sandwich Red Sox series, And now you got the Phillies coming in where, yeah, it's Girardi and it's Didi, but they're playing some much better baseball. They need these wins too. We know that in the NL East. Don't want to sleep on the Phillies Tuesday and Wednesday. Minimum, you got to get a split and then you got to play well against Boston and Tampa. And then we'll see what the Yankees do with the trade deadline. Jimmy Lairitz, who, in my opinion, in my lifetime, hit the biggest Yankee home run I've ever seen. Game 4, 96 World Series against Mark Wallers. it has got a new podcast. The King will join us next.
4: Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. of my village. I know where they're
5: taking your clan.
4: for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
2: So the Yankees take two out of three from the Boston Red Sox. They got a a big stretch of games coming up. Let's welcome in a guy who knows a thing or two about beating the Red Sox. Knows a thing or two about hitting big postseason home runs come October. And I'm going to see him mañana at David Cohn's outing. He's got a podcast. I love it. Welcome to the 21st century, catching heat, the king, Jimmy Larritz. What's up, Jimmy? What's happening? Good being here today. How you been? Jimmy, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm going to start here. You were a part of a team in 95 that really rallied and was dead to rights. You bring in David Cohn. You get hot over the final two months of the year and you make the postseason. Do you see in any way a similarity between the group you had in '95 and this Yankee team—that's kind of in that same sort of state as they go through July, August, and September.
0: Yeah, I mean some similarities, but I, I honestly think they have a better team right now. Um, you know, they—they they have the ability on paper that more than we did. We—we um, we just we had extra incentive because we wanted to get Don Mattingly to the playoffs before he retired. And, uh, you know, we were able to accomplish that. But, now I, you know, our team was good. And you could put them somewhere alongside of this. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that um, the way I look at this team right now, uh, you got 16 players on the IL, um, But yet you take two out of three from the Red Sox to open up the second half. I watched the game tonight. I was at the game tonight. I see a hit and run. What a, a concept, right, Jimmy? Yeah. A hit yeah. and run. Yeah. Yankee
2: team hitting
0: and running. I mean, what is this, 96 all over again? Boy, in a bunt for a base hit, a, you know, two guys going from first to third. You know, I mean, if, today, even though you can't even recognize the names in that lineup, if you watch that game tonight, man, it was fun to watch because they actually played baseball. They moved the runners over. They took the extra base. They did all the little things that, you know, somebody texted me while I was in the stands because they saw me there. They're like, hey, did you just see that hit and run? I said, yeah, I think that's the first time in three years I've seen it.
2: <laughs> Crazy to think about Did you ever think we'd be living in a world where the Yankees, the same Yankee franchise of Gehrig and Reggie and Mattingly and O'Neill, Jim, they have no left-handed hitting. How do you build a team in that ballpark? And I know analytics and shifts and... Their righties hit the ball the other way. That's all true. You got the short porch, three fourteen, in right field, dude. You gotta have some lefties in that lineup.
0: Yeah, listen. When when we were successful, we had at least three to four lefties, a couple of switch hitters. I mean, that's when the teams were successful, and you need that in Yankee Stadium, especially. And like you said, oh, you know, their are they're excuses. That, oh, guys hit the ball out from from the right side. Yeah, but you know what? You can make a couple of mistakes on the left side and hit a couple balls out. Uh, And they just don't have that right now. For them not to have, I I forget the kid's name, because again, I think he's he's, he's come up just recently. He was, you know, hitting 600 going into tonight. He got a couple, but he had a sacrifice fly tonight. He was a switch hitter. That's the first switch hitter I've seen in their lineup in a long time. And uh, it was good to see that. And one of the things I, I was encouraged about tonight is that some of these young kids getting a chance, are hopefully going to take advantage of it and show show the other guys what it's like to play baseball. Move the runner over, hit and run, but for a hit when you need to. It was it was a fun game to watch tonight. How much
2: can a trade make a difference on a ball club? You guys got Coney in '95, '96. You're on a team that's playing well, but you add Daryl Strawberry, you add Big Daddy Cecil Fielder, and you know, aside from your home run in 96, those guys and a whole lot of other factors, it's why you guys ended up winning a World Series. You believe, Jim, that that mid-season type of boost can really change the feel and the morale of a baseball team?
0: Well, that's where I thought George was so great, and some people didn't like the fact that he was so hands-on, but you know what? When we got to the break, when we got to this, this juncture right now, when we got the trade deadline coming up, he basically came downstairs and said, Joe, what do you need? Okay, I'll go get it. But you know what? If you don't win with it, I'll hold you accountable. And you know what? When we made the trade for Sierra, to for, for Cecil Fielder, it, it kickstarted us. It got us going. It, and it woke some guys up. But one of the things that I don't see with this team this year, that I've seen with our teams back in the day, is that you had a bench of Daryl Strawberry, Jim Layritz, Tim Raines, guys that were ready to step in. And if the the starters weren't playing well, they had guys behind them that were going to take their place. And I think maybe, maybe the complacency of this team has gotten a little bit. And I'm hoping some of these young kids coming up, I'm hoping they can change that and light a little fire under these starters so when they come back, when they get healthy, when they come off the COVID list, that they're ready to step in there and ready to play some baseball
2: you were a Yankee when George was still very much George and you could feel his presence. And, you know, he made his impact on the team. Did you have a favorite Steinbrenner moment, Jim, all your years of being a Yankee? Like, is there one George Steinbrenner story that like kind of stands out?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing is George's loyalty, uh, that he had to, to players that were, that wore the pinstripes. And in 1997, in January, I was working out at the minor league complex in Tampa, and it was the year that after I hit the home run, I asked George, my agents asked George, if Jimmy's not going to play every day next year, will you give him an opportunity to go somewhere else? And when I was on the field working out in Tampa, I get called off the field to go into the clubhouse and take a phone call. It's my agents on the phone and said, hey, we got to trade for you to the Angels. We're going to get you a three-year deal. George is okaying it. You know, you gotta get your opportunity. And I packed up my bag. I walked into his office. I said, Hey, Mr. Steinberg, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And he said, Yeah, you know what? You deserve it. And he said, Why is your bag packed? I said, Well, I can't work out here anymore. I'm, I'm not a Yankee. He said, Go pack your bag, go unpack your bags, kid. You will always be a Yankee for what you've done for this organization. You and only other one other guy, Wade Boggs. Work out at this facility and was not playing for the Yankees. And he made me unpack my bag and let me work out at the stadium the rest of that year.
2: That's pretty cool. And, you know, Jim, I think about those years, bro. And maybe it's because I feel the nostalgia. And, you know, I grew up rooting for your teams and like you were my guys through and through. And it got to a point where, let's be honest, Jimmy, I thought growing up as a kid, the Yankees were going to win the World Series year after year after year. And as fun as 95 was and getting Donnie in and the heartbreak of losing to Seattle, that 96 World Series, upstarts, down 2-0, down six runs in Atlanta. I mean, dude, anytime you see it, does it still give you the chills and the goosebumps? Because, I mean, I think about it in my lifetime. I'm not just saying this because you're on the air. This is no bullshit here. I think it's the biggest Yankee home run in the last... 35, 40 years. I don't think there's any doubt.
0: Well, you know what? I, I got the perspective in, in 1998, in, from 1998 when we actually lost the Yankees. Um, I remember uh, Joe Torrey called me up about three years ago, and he said, "Hey, Jimmy, I need you to come to my safe at home dinner in L.A." I need, you know. And I said, "Okay." I said, what, what, "What's what's going on?" He said, "We're celebrating the '98 team." And when he said that to me, I said, Joe, you do realize I wasn't on the 98 team. I was wearing I, a Padres jersey, for goodness sake. He goes, No, 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 no. He goes, I want you to tell the story that I've heard you told before, that you, you heard from Gene Michael. That when George, when we lost the 97 series, when Mariano gave up the home run to Alomar, George walked into Gene Michael's office and said, Fire Tori, get rid of Mariano. Anybody could have got us this point. We're going to start all over. And Gene Michael looked at George and said, George, wait a minute. Did you forget about 96? What we just accomplished the year before? And George said, okay, I'll give him one more chance. 98 is his last chance. And sure enough, they go on that magical run and again, play against us, the Padres, and they beat us and they sweep us to win the World Series. Joe said, I want you to come down to my dinner and tell that story. Because it's not the same coming from me. And I went down there and we had Al Michaels, we had Billy Crystal, we had David Wells, Bernie Williams. We all got up on stage and I told that story. And Joe's like, that's exactly the truth. I would not have been back had we not won that ninety-six series and then Jimmy not hit that big, you know, game-tying home run to turn the the momentum into our favor. And uh yeah, that, that's why that home run. And that World Series win was such a big, pivotal moment in Yankee history because it might have not been a dynasty for those next 98, 99, and 2000 because George wanted to get rid of everybody.
2: Talk me through that, Wollers, at bat. Are you thinking this guy throws 98, 99, I got to be ready for the fastball? Uh, Was it just guessing, Jimmy? Or, like, take me through what was going through your mind. Couple runners on base, game is in the balance. How are you trying to approach Wallers there in that situation?
0: Well, you know what the funny thing is? I was never a big stat guy, you know, sabermetrics. I didn't even care, you know, nice tool, but I don't really care about it. I want to see the game. I want to feel the game. And I remember standing next to Don Zimmer as I was going up to bat and said, Zim, you know what? What does this guy have? And because I didn't really know Wallers, I had never faced him. All right, we had never played against the Braves. And I he, Zimmer says to me, hey, Jimmy, he throws 100 miles an hour. Just get it ready. And then I go up, up there and sure enough, first pitch 98. I follow it back. He throws me two sliders. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay, sinker slider. I mean, fastball slider guy. Throws me another 98 mile or 99 mile an hour fastball. I follow it back. Counts 2-2. Throws me a really good slider. Barely fouled off. Now, as a catcher, I'm thinking, okay, take a little like, half a step off the plate. He's going to throw a fastball in, take it for ball three, and then he's got to come back with another fastball. And sure enough, I took a half a step back, and he went to the slider. And because I was a little bit further away from the plate and looking out over the plate, I was able to get the bat on it. And, of course, Atlanta was, you know, the, the homer dome or the homer, you know, whatever. And uh, I was able to hit the home run. And tie that game up. And once we won that game and we walked into the locker room, all we knew was we were going back to New York and we could beat the Braves because they didn't want to go back to New York that year. And uh, it was just a huge lift for us. And And a memory, like you said, I never, it never gets old seeing the replays on the Yes Network, going to play in these tournaments, hearing the fans talk about, you know, like yourself, Oh, I'll
2: be reminiscing with you tomorrow about this, Jimmy. Don't <laughs> worry. I'm going to want to hear all the details again. I mean, I can it, never get sick of this, dude. Come on. It never gets, yeah, it
0: never gets
2: old. 98 for you. You're going up against this all-time Yankee team, and you're a Yankee. You know, you're there 95, you're there 96. Was that like – and you played well in that postseason. You had some big home runs for the Padres. How weird was that for you, though, competing against those guys in a World Series, no less?
0: Yeah, you know, it was one thing when I played for the Angels and came back to play against them, and another thing to come back in a postseason, and having the postseason that I was having up to the point we played the Yankees, um, it was it was crazy. I remember Steve Lyons, you know, met me on our on our media day and our workout day, and he said, "Hey, are you going to stay in the city with with the team?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Are you going to take the four train like you always did when you were playing in New York?" I said, yes, I am. He goes, okay, I'm going to get a news crew with Fox, and we're going to follow you up to the stadium on the four train.
2: I remember that bit on the <laughs> Fox pregame show. Now that and I'm thinking about it. I remember. Did you wear a cowboy hat too? Yes. The I knew hat. it. Yeah, I knew it.
0: Yep. And you know what it was? Yeah, I hit the ball good that series. I just had a lot of Adam balls, and I went 0 for 10. And then I get traded back to the Yankees in 99. And my one at bat in the World Series, I hit a home run. And like Joe Torre said, God didn't want him to win in anything but pinstripes. I said, you know what? God didn't want me to hit any home runs other than pinstripes in the World Series. And I was able to do that in 99.
2: You called for a long time. Did you have a favorite pitcher that you worked with in your years?
0: Well, you know, when Andy Pettit came up in 95 and... I, I, you know, he was. You were like you know, his guy, right? You were his personal catcher in '96, basically. Well, yeah, he was having trouble in '95 throwing to to Mike Stanley, and I used to catch his bullpens. And one day he went to Buck and said, "Hey, can Jimmy catch me one start?" And we clicked from that moment on. I caught him the rest of '95. I think we were nine and three the last half of '95, and then I and, and then when Tory came in, the first thing he Andy he said is, "I want Jimmy to catch me." And Joe said, "Listen." Every game, he'll catch you, except if we're going up against a tough lefty. I want Girardi in the lineup, too, because I want more right-handed bats in the lineup. And I think Joe might have caught him six or seven starts that year, but I caught him the majority. And of course, he went 21 and, I think, 21 and nine that that, that season and finished second in the Cy Young to, to Pat Hankin. So to me, I was there in the beginning of the Andy Pettit, and it was a pleasure catching him in 95 and 96.
2: That sense of urgency you guys always used to feel when George was around, how much you think this group of Yankees misses that?
0: Yeah, you know what? It's one of those things that, you know, the personality that George brought out. The guys that if George got under you, could get under your skin, you were in trouble because he was going to continually pound you. It, it kind of reminded me of my father. I always told George, you're a second father figure to me because – when my dad was like a Woody Hayes and Bobby Knight combination. If I went two for four, he'd be like, why didn't you go three for four? If I scored 20 points in a basketball game, why didn't you score 30? George was the same way. George was like, hey, I'm going to pay you the most, but I'm going to expect the most. And if you don't perform, I'm going to let you know about it. And you better have an answer or you better go out and get better. And that's what I loved about playing for George. and And it was just, him and I had a great relationship. And uh, yes, I do think they do miss it. But you know what? In all honesty, I'm not one of these old, old school guys. It's a new game now. It's a whole new process. And you know, it, it, you just can't expect the same things that we expected when we had George around. And you just got to get used to it. It's hard, especially as guys that saw George and were with George. But it's just kind of a new thing. And you got to just hope that these guys like they did two years ago. You know, Aaron Boone, they wanted to fire five or six times two years ago, and they won 103 games. You know what? Give them a chance. They got to get healthy. That's the bottom line. If they get healthy, they got a chance to, to get back into this thing and get into the postseason. And once they get there, who knows what happens.
2: So you still think this season is salvageable from a Yankee standpoint? Oh, do.
0: You know what? I always point to Bucky that year. You know what? They still came back in September, and, and to to win us to win a division, these guys have the they have the ability as a team. If they get healthy and get some of these guys back, they can run off twenty out of twenty five games with with the eat with ease. They got Severino coming back the second half. They got some guys. They they're probably going to make at least one or two trades. They, they you know they need to, and if that happens, who knows? This, these guys could change the season real quickly. And to be uh, to take two out of three games from the Red Sox to start the second half, it's got to give you some encouragement if you're in that locker room that says, you know what, we can do this thing.
2: How much you like doing podcasts, dude? I love talking baseball <laughs> with you, so it seems like a natural fit. Jimmy Lairitz, all these years in Major League Baseball, now letting it rip behind a mic. You
0: having fun doing the pod? Well, you know the thing I loved about the podcast, it's called Catching Heat with Jim Lairitz. But really, all it's, all it's about It's former athletes, former celebrities who have either fallen off like I did and come back or have taken what they did from their careers, whether it's music, whether it's TV, whether it's an athlete, but have turned it around to do something good for other people, whether it's a charity, whether it's a foundation, but just have taken what they did from their career, what God gave them and turned it around to do something good for other people. And it's all about those stories not the stories that you hear, you know, because you don't hear those stories in the media. You you know, I I had Daryl Strawberry on my first podcast. The last time Daryl Strawberry was in the media is when he screwed up and got kicked out of baseball. But they don't talk about the Daryl Strawberry that's preaching at churches, bringing people to God. They don't talk about Daryl Strawberry who's opened up 20 different rehab centers all around the United States. They don't talk about that. I want to be the person that, that's the positive in what's going on with Daryl. I want to bring those things to light. And every, every person I'm bringing on my podcast, they have that kind of story to, to be able to help other people from the career and the, the opportunity that they had to give back to other people. And it's been a pleasure interviewing people. And I've learned so much about a guest that's coming on that I didn't know much about. I just knew that he was doing something to give back and to hear their story. And to hear what they went through really helps me, you know, appreciate what they're doing, what other people are doing.
2: Tremendous stuff, bud. Continued success with the podcast. I love hearing big things out of my dude, Jimmy Larritz, but high expectations in about 24 hours on the golf course. Now you're going to get paired with a group. They're going to get bombs. They're going to get paired with me. They're going to be like, Oh God, just hit the ball straight. Don't embarrass yourself. I need a bomb or two out of Laird's, okay? So when I see you, like, on the 10th tee, n- no laying up, okay? I want you going for the green, for me,
0: okay? Well, you know what? I always tell my groups, I said, listen, I can hit the ball far, but it's just like baseball. My power is still at the right center.
2: <laughs> nice. I like that. Got play, to gotta play that fade a little bit then, Jimmy. That's all. Play that draw, you know, whatever it takes, bro. Hey, I'll see you tomorrow. Keep up the good work, dude, and don't be a stranger. You're welcome anytime, okay? now. Thanks for having me, man. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. That's the great Jimmy Larritz doing great stuff for Catching Heat. A lot more Yank Sox. Big one for the Mets on Sunday too. Coming right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was... all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.
2: that we did on Saturday night was fantastic. And I'm sorry that I didn't have like a specific time for you guys. And it was very like, kind of go with the flow. The Yankee game got delayed. I'm watching the end of the finals. I have no idea when the Yankee game's coming back. So I didn't want to promise you guys a time. And then all of a sudden the Yankee game comes back. Check Twitter. I'm always going to tweet John underscore Jastrzemski when we fire off one of those. Another thing you got to do, get on Spotify Room and follow me because when I go live, I believe you'll get a notification. So if I'm cooking and, you know, you maybe out on a Saturday night or maybe you tucked away Betty Bye and you don't want to go Betty Bye, boom, come to me. And we'll do them late. We'll do them early. I love the flexibility. And last night was one of those nights. I was like, all right, I can't wait till Sunday. I'm going to crack open a beer and I'm going to rip. I thought I was going to rip for 15 to 20 minutes. I look up. It's over an hour. I'm like, shit, I got a tea time in a couple hours. I got to go to bed. But download Spotify Green Room. It's been a fabulous addition to what we do here at New York, New York. It's a part of the New York, New York family, if you will. So if you haven't downloaded that app, get your ass on it. Do it now. Don't wait. Well, actually, wait. Wait for the podcast to end. But right after the podcast, or stop it. Do whatever the hell you want to do. But Spotify Green Room. if you're not involved, you're missing out because they've been too much fun. Voicemails. I'm sure many of you are still wondering how to get in touch with the show. I know it's been four months and we've had a lot of success and we've had a lot of fun. 917-382-1151. Very simple process. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Because a lot of this stuff sometimes can be JJ-proof. This isn't even JJ-proof. So this should be interesting. It was an eventful weekend. A whole lot went on. Mets, Yankees, finals. We'll see where you guys and gals take this. It's Hit it, baby. Hey,
3: JJ. Nick and Rockers Renner here. Just finished up the Mets comeback on Sunday. And
2: it feels good,
3: but you're still going to have to talk me up the ledge a little bit. I'm only 20, and as a lifetime dire Mets fan who has memories of heartbreaks like most Comparable year 2007, I don't know how people can be super happy even after the win today. Like, yeah, it was good they won, the Bats showed up for once, but not for nothing. They should have won five games, and who the hell is going to pitch the next two days? They have no major league caliber starters available, and a bullpen is spent like the walk us two-thirds of an inning performance today. They got to play Milwaukee again. They got to play Cincinnati twice. They got to play the Dodgers twice. They got to play the Giants twice. And this home-and-home home with the Pirates is no series to mess around with, and they absolutely blew it. I don't know how people can feel comfortable with this team, JJ. And for the love of all things, holy, please do not give me that they're still in first place with a terrible division as a rationale, because that's absolute garbage. Look at 2007, and they look like anything but first place team right now, JJ. Going like two games up on a Phillies team with a significantly easier remaining schedule.
2: Thanks, JJ. I think you bring up a lot of fair points there. I've preached a whole lot of positivity with the Mets. I cannot preach any positivity with the way they played going into the All-Star break, now coming out of the All-Star break against a dreadful Pirate team. The Pirates are an embarrassment. To go and lose two out of three this weekend is unacceptable. To split the weekend before is unacceptable. What's more troubling now is the news with Lindor the news with DeGrom, and this element of letting the other teams within this division have some hope. The Phillies should have been buried a long time ago. The Braves with Acuna out for the year should have been done, over, finished. They're not. The Mets right now are not playing like one of the upper echelon teams in the National League or in all baseball. They're not. Could they be dangerous if they get in the playoffs and DeGrom comes back and reinforcements are added? Of course. And I think that's why I've continued to preach positivity, but they got a fight on their hands now. And that schedule you brought up, you're so right. I went through it earlier today. A lot, a lot of tough games coming up for the Mets. That's why I've heard other places, oh, the division is over. No, No, it's not. When you have a two and a half game lead and it's, what, today is, whatever the hell the day is. What is, July? Hmm, let's see. 19th, for those of you keeping score at home. No, the division is not over. A lot of work to be done. Who's up next? What's going on,
5: JJ? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. You know, it, it it was cool to see Rojas get fired up every now and every, and then. And, and again, it's great to see him stick up for his players. This team needs to play with more fucking emotion. And that starts with the manager. And with with Conforto's home run and the bullpen performance, J.J. Blankenhorn's home run gets a little lost here. We know with some uh, positive flexibility and options, he should be with the Mets uh, organization next year. And and Walker should have let the ball roll to a uh, complete stop. The damage would have been limited to one run.
2: Stuart's not wrong on the Walker play. I hated the way he played it. And then he's pulling a Chuck Knobloch after the fact and he's arguing. I mean, you have to pick up the ball. You have to make a play there. Taiwan's got to know better. He handled that situation terribly. Now Rojas is sticking up for his guy. I like that fire. I like that passion. And clearly the team fed off of it. Eight and two thirds shutout innings. And you brought up a very underrated aspect of Sunday's game the blanking horn three run homer should not be lost in the shuffle. And in detail and all the things that transpired over the weekend, you know, going through this, going through that. I didn't even bring it up. Shame on me for that. That allowed Conforto and allowed the Mets to avoid disaster in the ninth inning. Mets lose this game on Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Code Red some. Levels of concern are legitimate and justified. You're screaming hallelujah getting a win with the Pirates. I mean, got to be better. Help is needed, and the Mets got to be better. Who's up next?
5: Hey, John, it's Jake from Charlotte. Oh, I'm happy that seven-game uh, series is over at the Pirates. Uh, you know, I can't believe the Mets actually lost that series four games to three, but it's whatever. Move on to the Cincinnati Reds. Anyways, um, one thing I think uh, all Mets fans realized is um, this past week is we definitely need starting pitching, at least one or two starting pitchers, because... Um, Grom's on the DL now who knows how long he's going to be on there with his forearm soreness um but yeah starting pitching starting pitching is definitely a must definitely need to get one or two guys and for the closer role um Edwin Diaz he's he's not reliable I mean I want to like him I want to trust him but it's it's very hard nearly impossible um just wondering do you think the Mets should go out and try to trade for a closer like uh Craig
2: Kimball Craig Kimbrell or uh You know, someone else. Let me just think. All right, bye. The Met bullpen has not been their problem this year. Met bullpen has actually been quite good. You want to add a guy like Kimbrell, great. You make a strength that much better. Diaz is still causing A's for this team. I don't trust Diaz either. Diaz is one of those guys, when he melts, he melts in crash and burn fashion. You could almost see it coming from a mile away Saturday night. And I'm not going out on a major limb by saying this. Diaz is going to blow a major game for the Mets. Whether it's in the month of September or whether it's in a postseason, Diaz is going to have a meltdown at some point. It's in his nature. It's in his DNA. He is a volatile reliever. But the Mets are pot committed to me with Edwin Diaz. He's the closer of this team. Next year, maybe it's a different conversation. This year, unless Diaz just completely, you know, goes off the rails he's going to be closing games for you. And I'm not saying you should trust him. And I'm not saying you should feel confident. But if you're asking me, who is the Met closer in a big game in September or, you know, a postseason series? It's going to be uh, the trumpet man, Sugar. So I guess bring the Pepto Bismal. That'd be my advice. Who's next? Hey, JJ,
3: it's Gabe from Queens. And I'm just very confused after watching Yankees Butcher the Red Sox here tonight on Sunday. It's like, this was the most exciting I've ever seen the offense this year. And half our starting roster is on the IL with COVID protocol. So, you watch a game steal bases all the time. And, and taking, I saw it doing the first of was like, holy crap. That was my first time all year I've seen that. And it's just like, what you, I don't know. I don't want to fault Brian Cashman. Because I do think he's been an amazing Yankees, you know, since he's been a, a Yankees in the organization. But I just don't understand what he's seeing um, in the original roster because when you watch these guys take the extra bases and play small ball um, and especially add speed to this team, you see how much more effective they are. And um, I don't know. I just want to hear what you think um, is the next move going forward. Maybe the Yankees can learn from this situation uh, with everyone injured. Thanks so much, AJ.
2: Love the pod. I think it's a valid point. The Yankees have needed this sort of boost of athleticism. You got it a week ago at Lacastro. I felt so bad for him. Saturday, he makes a terrific catch. Bangs his knee. Screwed it up bad. Now he blows out the ACL. I'm intrigued by this Greg Allen. Part-time player. I mean, he's a fourth outfielder. But you see what the element of speed can provide to this lineup? Aggressive, natured mentality is what's been lacking Yankees have too many of the same sort of player. And even though Odor was a little reckless, if you ask me, trying to go first to third, and he almost made the first out at third base, with this lineup being the way it is, I don't mind pushing the envelope. I don't mind pushing the limit because that's how you have to win games. And if the Yankees can't get Urshela and Judge back, let's say next week, And they got to go into Fenway Park. It's got to be the same sort of vibe. Good pitching, timely hitting, aggressive base running. And that's going to be the blueprint to try and win games. Yankees need a reinforcement, though. And there are a lot of different names being thrown out there. Listen, I'm dreaming about Anthony Rizzo. My worst nightmare is that Simmons is going to get him, and I'm going to be sick, and he's going to be all sorts of giddy. Nobody needs that. Bill is giddy enough. He has enough things going on. He doesn't need Anthony Rizzo with the Boston Red Sox. I'm sorry. Nobody needs that. But you're going to hear Gallo's name brought up. He's got pop. He's a good defender. Strikes out a ton. I'm not in love with the idea of just adding more and more strikeout guys to the Yankees. I heard Starling Marte's name mentioned. Athletes. That's what I'm looking for. Lefties and athletes. That, to me, is how you change your feel this Yankee team. Good weekend for them. Got to see a lot more. Who's up next?
5: Uh, yo, what up, JJ? Charlene Elmhurst. Um, Hope the Simmons Techs have stopped because the Yankees are up 9-1, to one, three outs away from a serious victory. But I actually don't want to talk about the the game. I actually want to talk about the the jackass fan who threw a uh, uh, ball at Verdugo. What a classless. What, a, what an absolute disgrace. I mean... I mean, at the public venue, I don't care what kind. What, what, as much as I hate the Red Sox, I don't do that shit. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, you gotta have to face the circumstances, and boy, that jackass deserves it because that should not be tolerated. I mean, this is the second time happened with the at Yankee Stadium back in April against the the race, all the fans throwing balls at him. This is just unacceptable. Have some class when you have the ballpark and responsibility. My goodness. Get your shit together, people. I mean, so let's I don't care. as much as I hate the us, I will never do that again. If I, if I if I if I if I if I do that shit, I I mean I'll be a hypocrite. That's why, because I know the uh, circumstances, I know the consequences, that's why you don't do it. And that fan that jackass fan deserved and well, deservedly got a lifetime ban. I I think he should. They should make an example of it. Should send his ass to jail. and what the hell? What a disgrace!
2: It's a bad look for the fan. Now, I don't want that to sum up Yankee fans. Stanton got hit with a ball a couple of years ago at Fenway Park. So the idea that like, oh, it's just Yankee fans is is just garbage. But that fan's a dumbass. That's unacceptable fan behavior. And the justification was, oh. You know, Verdugo was having a catch with the fan and that's what happened. He didn't mean to hit him. You can't hit a player with a baseball. Sorry. You know his back is turned. You can't be taking a baseball on the field and throw it at a particular player. Boone was ticked off about that. You saw Cora was livid on Saturday and I understand why. It's dangerous. Got to be better if you're a fan going to the game. And yeah, you do something like that, you're not going to go to Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park or any big league ballpark. Yourself for the consequences. Two to go. Who do we got on the horn? Hey, JJ, Sean Long Island here. Uh, hope this a
3: good past couple months for you. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, listen, it's, just, it's far on the back burner for New York sports. Just a quick shout out to Nick Letty being traded by the Islanders today. A really great Island for the last several years. You know, was, uh, the day they got Letty and Boyce stuff the same day. Uh, was really a turning point, I think for the franchise and to see him go bittersweet, wish he could have gone on top. But, uh, Quick shout out to Nick Letty, a great Islander, and uh, wishing him all the best. Hope you're well, man. I want to tell you this. I keep forgetting when I leave voicemails, but uh, best Seeger song, Ramblin' Gamblin', man.
0: Take care, bud.
2: As a Seeger song, and I brought that up on Twitter like a month, month and a half ago. It's a great song. Still the same in Night Moves, though. will take the cake for me. I mean, when I think Bob Seeger songs, those are the two for me. Still the same, Night Moves wanted to tell an island to call in July who know? and I gotta see showing Long Island out of the game at some point next year gotta work on that last but not least who's on the horn
4: hey JJ Mike in Westport you know I've called a couple of times I'm a big, big Nets fan but you know what I gotta say you know what I gotta give Milwaukee and Giannis credit it's, it's a beautiful thing watching what's happened there you know what Watching those games, you know, I, I love when they show the crowd shots of everybody in Milwaukee going crazy. You know what? Because you know what? You don't see that in New York. You don't. You don't see that for the Brooklyn Nets. You know that team could have won the championship this year, and other than the few fans that they have, nobody would have cared. And it's a beautiful thing also to see the the loyalty that Giannis showed before the season, signing with that team. That team could have gone nowhere. And uh, he would have been stuck with them for five years. And I contrast that with uh, the net stars, with Durant and Kyrie and uh, Harden. And uh, you see three guys that go from team to team, no loyalty. They just decide, I'm going to play with this guy or I want to play with that team. The teams, teams all treat them like gold, like Houston did with Harden and Kyrie with Boston. And it's just like, you know, after what, they sign two- or three-year contracts, turn their back, and off they go. So, you know what, even, I'm, even though I'm in that shot, I'll tell you another thing. The Nets had their chance to beat Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee's not going to be so easy to take down next year. I would like to know what your thoughts are. After next year, do you think these guys are going to sign with Brooklyn again? You know, the three, the three stars they have. Because it's like if, it's, if I had to give my opinion, I don't think there's a chance they're going to have all three of them sign again. You know, I could, I could see Kyrie going to Miami and Durant going to Los Angeles, Harden going somewhere else. And uh, suddenly the Nets have no championships, no draft picks, and nothing to show for it. I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Thanks. Love the show. Bye.
2: Yeah, I think we're too far down the road of trying to forecast what Brooklyn and their players are going to do next year. It seems like it's a great environment to be in. All the guys love management. All the guys love Nash. It seems like they like playing alongside one another. So I I wouldn't be taking it to that irrational stance and that irrational take yet. But things change. Like anything else in the NBA, things change. I wanted to get to the final, so I'm glad that you brought it up in your voicemail. Isn't it amazing how this series has just dramatically shifted? Milwaukee looked dead to rights after the first two games of this series. You had Monster Giannis in game three. You had the great comeback in game four. Middleton's brilliance. Connaughton's big shot. Paul tripping at the end of the game. And game five, After that first quarter, I thought Phoenix was going to run them out of the gym because they were grooving, they were in their offense, they were hitting threes. And I'm like, all right, this is the Phoenix team we saw in the first two games of the series. Milwaukee, to their credit, they countered. And what they've been able to do in this series, especially in their three wins, Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday have been phenomenal. Middleton was getting whatever shot he wanted in game five. Giannis is obviously asserting his will and his physical prowess. But big lead in the fourth quarter. Suns make a run. Think about what a defining moment this was Saturday night. You got Giannis at the line up one. He goes 0-2 from the charity stripe. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, this is going to be a meltdown for Milwaukee. Phoenix with the ball. The place is ready to explode. And Drew Holiday made one of the best defensive plays I've seen in a finals game, considering the circumstance. I'm not going to say the best because, listen, that LeBron block uh, in game seven of the finals against the Warriors. I mean, obviously, with everything that was on the line for Cleveland, that takes it to another level. I get that. But this was about to be epic. Bucks choke. Epic Bucks meltdown. Holiday, steal, gets out in transition, finds Giannis, boom, flushes it down. And just like that, the momentum Phoenix was building squashed. And now Milwaukee has won three consecutive games in this series. Their star players are outperforming the star players of the Phoenix Suns. They're getting after it on defense. And they're going to go to a place that has been very good to them throughout this postseason. Milwaukee installed as a five-point favorite on Tuesday night. To me, and we'll see if this changes, according to our friends over at the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook sponsor of The Ringer, shameless plug, I think this line being at five kind of is telling in many ways. I thought Phoenix would respond in game five. I was wrong. I like Milwaukee to get it done in game six. I'm going to own the fact that I was dead wrong in this series. Milwaukee has just shifted the entire feel and the entire narrative. I think the Bucs are getting it done. I'll admit defeat. It's going to be a long, long offseason for Chris Paul and company. Up 2-0. Letting this series slip away. This has been a fun NBA Finals, by the way. Really, really fun NBA Finals. Best since 2016, as far as I'm concerned. Especially these last couple of games. And it just goes to show you, you don't need the dynasty. You don't need the super team to have some real compelling basketball. This has been a lot of fun. I very much enjoyed this series. Very, very, very much enjoyed this series. We'll see if Jeff Money and I are on the same page. Is it family playing game six? Money, the floor is yours.
3: What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. It's going to be for Tuesday the 20th, NBA action. I think it's all over. I'm taking the Bucks minus the five. I had enough taking those sons. That's it. So we're going to go with the Bucks minus the five. All right, let's see if it's a family play. Okay,
4: JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go.
2: Money, it is a family play. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm all aboard the honest bandwagon. And I know his shooting is not where it needs to be and his foul shooting is not where it needs to be. He is so likable. He is a physical freak. The fact that he stayed in Milwaukee, I think is just fantastic. Fantastic. Plays, what a concept. Guy actually plays games in the NBA and wants to be on the court. Holy moly. Maybe some guys should be taking pages out of Giannis' playbook. Just saying. Just saying. So I'll be rooting. I I like both of these teams. But now I'm kind of like buying into the idea of Giannis at home, long drought, winning a title for Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So Tuesday night, after game six of the finals, after some baseball, we'll have all that good stuff going on. But we're throwing in a little wrinkle. Stump the JJ. That's right. We're not going to take 10 zillion trivia questions on the voicemail line. We'll take the best three, get them my way, leave us an answer. So that way Sarudi has it on file and we'll take it from there. So a little trivia is going to be a part of our New York, New York podcast every Tuesday and a Wednesday, which basically means you're getting a Larry question. I mean, that goes without saying, but we'll see who else can bring, you know, their master talents to the table. So that's coming up on our early Wednesday morning podcast. It's going to be an early Wednesday morning because we got NBA finals games. We got all the baseball. So it's going to be a very, very chaotic, crazy week. Again, what else is new? Fellas, outstanding job. And before we sign off, I want to throw some love to a personal buddy of mine who put together a terrific, terrific Little League team. They're traveling all over the place. They had some great, great wins. The Under 8 Eastern Elite World Series silver Champs. My guys, the Elefthorakis boys, bringing it home. My dudes. All the love, to quote the great Joe Beningo, All the love indeed. I saw that the other day on Instagram, so I want to show them some beautiful praise. My guys. And the son is a stud. I mean, if only he's going to take up dad's jeans on the golf course, we'll see. That'll play out over time. I'm back Wednesday morning. JJ signing off. Enjoy your week, everybody.
5: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing.